Like Brad said, um, I go to UNK in Kearney. Uh, I'm a, so a senior this year. My major is broadcast journalism. I've got a minor in marketing. It uh, means nothing, but um, <laughs> I'm really excited to graduate. So yes, two weeks, three weeks. Ooh, I should know this. It's coming up soon. <laughs> but because I'm in college, I don't get to go to home uh, quite as often as I'd like. Um, but I got to go home for Easter, and it was the first time my whole family was together uh, since Christmas, and that was really, really cool. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I just feel like there's a certain point in your life when it's no longer necessary for your mom to give you an Easter basket. You're right? My mom, bless her heart, has not quite decided it's been long enough yet. I'm 22 years old, about to graduate college. I kind of feel like I don't really need an Easter basket anymore, you know? But I get one every year. She just really loves giving out Easter baskets. My mom also loves uh, Easter egg hunts. And about up to two years ago, my mom still ha had an Easter egg hunt for just me and my siblings. It was literally me, I'm 22, my sister is 19, my brother is 17. And it was just for us. And she'd like make us all sit in the basement while she went out and like hid Easter eggs. But she like didn't even like hide them outside. They were up like just in the upstairs. Like, there's not too many places to hide Easter eggs up there. And when you do it year after year, it's like, oh, look, there's one in the silverware drawer. Had no idea. Thanks, Mom. Bet there's one in the bread maker, too, you know? Now, these are all really thoughtful ideas. I love my mom a lot. I'm not, don't get me wrong there. Um, and I really enjoy it. But the thing is, you see, uh, I'm also diabetic. So I'm not really supposed to eat sugar too much, or at least I'm not supposed to. And so this year, my mom gives us our Easter baskets. Yes, she did it again. And um, my brother, like, opens his, and there's, like, Reese's in it and M&M's, and it's just, like, overflowing with candy. Same with my sister. And I looked at mine, and there's, like, one piece of beef jerky on the bottom <laughs> and some almonds. And just like, oh, thanks, Mom. Thanks for reminding me I have a chronic disease. Awesome. <laughs> Deep down, though, I really love it. It's really cool. Um, every year before Easter, I'm still kind of hoping I get that Easter basket. It's just kind of become a tradition. I feel like, though, if I'm like 45, though, married, kids, whatever it is, and I come back home for Easter, and my mom's still like, here, Sonny, here's your Easter basket. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> it might be starting to get a little bit weird then. But, no, we'll just see. We'll feel it out. I feel like there's a lot of kind of like weird traditions with Easter now. Like, what is the deal with the Easter bunny? I don't know. It's weird. Whoever thought of a day dedicated to a bunny hopping around handing out candy to children, I just think that's a little weird. Um, so I really like the website, BuzzFeed. It's got the app on my phone, on my iPad, got it marked up in my browser and my history. It's, BuzzFeed's probably the reason why I still haven't really learned anything in my physical science class. Um, but that's okay. The other day I was on BuzzFeed and uh, I found this article called 19 Vintage Easter Bunny Photos That Will Make Your Skin Crawl. So naturally I had to look at it, right? The results were shocking. I, I brought a couple of them with you just to show you just how weird some Easter traditions can get. So here's the first one. Who thought this was a good idea? Would you sit on that lap? No. 
No wonder people are confused about Easter. All right, I think I got another one. That kid is not enjoying life right now. He's not saying, Happy Easter, Mom. Thanks for making me do this. Neither one of them. No, this is not okay. That's not even a rabbit. That's a guy with a, I don't know what on his head, but. All right, I got one more. This is my favorite. Are you kidding me right now? Not okay. That, that, the kid's face right there is the look of, Mom, you're kidding me, right? This isn't really happening. You're, oh, you're going to take my picture? There's a lot of traditions on Easter that range anywhere from the Easter bunny to whatever. You know, there's just a lot of stuff going on that day. My family has a number of tradition, traditions, and I'm sure yours does too. Usually we have family and friends come over, or we go somewhere. We have a big meal. We go to church. Uh, we take a nap because we ate too much. You know, really usually the bed three. Jesus, food, and nap. You know, kind of sums it up. And I'm not saying that these are bad things in, at all. In fact, they're good. Easter is a day of celebration, and you should spend it celebrating with your friends and family. It should be one of the happiest days of the year. But guys, Easter is also one of the most important days of the year for anyone who loves Jesus. If you got a Bible tonight, we're going to be going through 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 6. I think it just really spills out how important Easter is. So if you got that, I think it's going to be up on the screen. I'll give you a second to turn to it. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 6. All right, Awesome. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. All right, I'm going to pray real quick, and we're going to keep going. God, I thank you so, so much uh, for this night that we can just come together and hang out together. Uh, God, I thank you for this opportunity you've just given me to speak. God, I pray that uh, it would be you speaking through me tonight and you and you alone, God. I pray that I would not say one untrue word tonight, God. Uh, God, we love you, and we thank you for everything that you're doing, and we'll keep doing. In your name I pray. Amen. Okay. First thing I want to talk to you about tonight is it's okay to have doubt. You all know what doubt is. The dictionary defines doubt as to be uncertain about, considered questionable or unlikely, hesitate to believe. Doubt is a normal part of our lives. Like, if my business communication professor says that today's lecture is going to be really interesting, my first thought is, I really doubt that. And I'm usually right. Like, seriously, I could teach that class. Anyway, um, some doubt, it's not bad. It's not bad to have some doubt. Um, I'm involved with the college ministry in Kearney called Christian Student Fellowship, a couple of years ago, so my sophomore year, uh, we, we go on a spring break trip, a uh, missions trip, every spring break. 
And uh, that year we were going to Vegas. And I was super excited. There was like 75 of us going. It was a pretty big group. And we're all trying to cram onto this bus, right? Well, we're meeting at this church to have kind of just like a mutual meeting ground. And uh, we all get there and we see the bus for the first time. And this bus is from 1848. Like, I think originally horses pulled it. Um, and it's old. I'm not lying. And I'm just like, oh, no. There's going to be 75 people on there, plus all our luggage. It's going to be heavy. We have to go through the Rocky Mountains. This thing is not going to make it. It's not going to make it. Either that or it's going to deal like three miles to the gallon. Um, and uh, I had some doubt about the reliability of this bus. Well, we get through the, partway through the Rocky Mountains and <laughs> toast. It's like, see, I told you. I told you. Um, and no, it, it wasn't a bad thing. We pulled over on the side of the road. We fortunately had somebody that apparently knew how to fix it or something. And we just, uh, we, instead, everybody else just sat on the side of the road. And we had uh, just a few hours of worship. We had a couple of two-stick guitars. And we just sat on the side of the interstate in the Rocky Mountains, worshiping God while some poor sucker uh, fixed our bus. Um, <laughs> but it was awesome. It was really cool. But I think it was okay to have some doubt about the reliability of that bus. We live in a society and culture in which it is impossible to not have some doubt. We doubt things when they seem too good to be true. Society and culture has created us to be that way. If it's too good to be true, then it's probably not true. And I think there's some good reason to think that way. I mean, for example, say you're sitting on your computer and all of a sudden this like, internet pop-up ad pops up and says, job opportunity. All you have to do is sit on your couch for one hour a week, sell these couple products, and you'll make $2 million a year. Things like that exist out there. I think it's reasonable to th- doubt that's true. If it's too good to be true, it's probably not true. Or you all seen those, you know, those pill uh, weight loss commercials, you know? And it's like, take this pill once a day, and you'll have the body you've always wanted. And it shows the before picture, and it's this fat, old, bald guy, just wrinkles everywhere. And, and then the after picture is one of two options. Either all of a sudden he has hair again, he's like 22, ripped out of his mind, and you're like, that, that's not the same person. Or they show the same person, but like half of his face, and, or because it's not really the same person anymore, if you just take a pill and you don't work out and you don't eat right, you're not going to lose weight. If it's too good to be true, it's reasonable to have doubt whether or not it's true. And guys, when we look at the Easter story, it almost seems too good to be true. If we look at the First Corinthians scripture, that it really breaks down the Easter story for us. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of First Corinthians. So what, what we just read, what is he saying in the beginning, beginning of chapter 15? Three things. Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and was raised to life on the third day in accordance to the Scriptures. What does it mean in accordance to the Scriptures? Well, basically, every, all those events was, were prophesied hundreds of years earlier in the Old Testament. It was all written about in the Old Testament, and then it happened through Jesus. And that's just really cool. Um, but as we look at the Easter story, this is what's going on. Jesus died on the cross for my sins and your sins. He died for every sin that ever happened. 
is happening right now and will happen. He died for them all. He took them all on, and he took them on without you asking him to. He did it because he loves you. Jesus did because he knew there was no other way to deal with the sin problem in this world, the human condition. He looked at all our mistakes, our sins, our disasters. He looked them straight in the eye and said, give them to me. We all know what guilt feels like. We all know what it's like to do something we just know we should not have done. And it's just ripping us apart on the inside. We all know that feeling of guilt and that shame that just comes over us afterwards. We all know how disgusting at times we feel. It's just like, why did I do that? Why did I mess up doing that again? Why, why, why? I should not have done that. And yet, and yet, and still, Jesus said, give me all of your sins. Give me all of your failures. He took on the guilt and the shame for every sin. We can't even begin to imagine that pain. That's why the cross was so difficult. In fact, the weight of the sin was so great that God the Father could not even look at his own son. That's why in Matthew 27, 46, 6, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Despite all of that, Jesus took on our sins and died. But the story, the story doesn't stop there. No, no, no. Paul in 1 Corinthians keeps writing. No, on the third day, Jesus arose from the dead and crushed all our sins. He conquered death and all of our sins. He took all of our mistakes to the grave and left them there. For all those who follow Jesus, we are made new. We're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Our failures and our mistakes and the things that are holding us back no longer have a hold on us. Easter, Easter, guys, the day we just celebrated is the conclusion to that story. It makes the whole rest of the gospel possible. Now, if you've grown up in church, you already know all this. You're probably like, you came all the way from Carney to tell me that? Congrats, dude. You're really smart. Um, but have you guys ever just truly stopped and really thought about what does Easter really mean? What does it really mean? When you really stop and just think about it, it's just, it's breathtaking, it's beautiful, it's incredible. This is news. Easter, the gospel, is news that seems too good to be true. But that's what the gospel is. The gospel is good news. A pastor named Judah Smith says this about the gospel. The gospel is by nature good news. A gospel and good news are synonyms. The gospel is not bad news. It's not threatening news. It's not hellfire and brimstone news. It's good news. It's great news. It's over the moon news. Guys, Easter is vital for the gospel. Without Easter, the gospel is pointless. And so Easter is good news. It is incredible news. It's such good news that I think it almost seems pretty normal to feel some doubt. It seems too good to be true. I think one of the reasons why we have so much doubt in our faith is because we're so used to being let down. You know? Whether it's our friends, our families, acquaintances, People let us down. 
They fail us. They disappoint us. They hurt us. It doesn't matter how much somebody cares about you or loves you. Eventually, they're going to let you down. And that's because people are imperfect. They're going to make mistakes. But that's not the case with God. He does not make mistakes. He is perfect. He doesn't lie to us. His word is true. The book, this book, the Bible, it's a love letter to us. We don't have to doubt him. But guys, you can, you can love Jesus, you can love Jesus, and still have doubt. Literally, directly after Jesus' resurrection, after the, the first Easter, there were people that loved him and had doubt. I'm sure you've all heard of Doubting Thomas. I personally feel like he did kind of a bad rap. All he's known, known as is Doubting Thomas. I'm sure he did other things with his life. Um, but Thomas, Thomas was a disciple of Jesus. He was like one of the, the original 12. He'd been with Jesus a long time. He had lived his life with Jesus. He loved Jesus. He really did. But we've seen in, we've seen in John 20, John chapter 20, right after Jesus rises from the dead, Thomas is suffering from some doubt. And starting in verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. First thought there, where was he? Did he miss the memo? Everybody else was there. Peter was there. John was there. Why wasn't Thomas there? But he wasn't. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks on his hands, and I put my finger where the nails were, and I put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger right here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Guys, it's okay to have doubt. It really is. We see that even when Jesus' disciples had doubt. Thomas had literally just spent the last three years of his life physically walking around on the earth with Jesus. He'd watched him perform countless miracles. He had heard his teachings. He had a front row to everything. He was like in the splash zone. Uh, How cool is that? He literally walked around with Jesus for three years, and yet he still had doubt. It's okay to have doubt, but what matters is what you do with your doubt. Because if you don't deal with your doubt, if you don't deal with the things that you're doubting, I guarantee you it will only get worse. Unchecked doubt leads to a complacent heart and just going through the motions. If you don't, if you don't do something about your doubt, if you don't explore, if you don't look into it, guys, I guarantee you, following Jesus' church, it's going to become a routine and pretty boring. And that's not how it's intended to be at all. Guys, doubt should never defeat you, but it should be your motivation to truly understand the truth. Guys, Christianity depends on Easter. Without Easter, everything falls apart. If Jesus is still dead, then we're still all dead too. But guys, I can tell you, my friends, that Jesus is not dead. He is alive. You know, there's actually historical definitive proof that Jesus rose from the dead. 
that's a lot of messages in itself. Guys, I really encourage you to look into, though. If you're interested in all in that kind of stuff, you should look at a book called The Taste for Christ. It's really awesome. I'm super stoked for tomorrow. There's actually a professor from a university, I can't remember where it is, but his name is Dr. Lacona, and he's coming to UNK uh, tomorrow, and he specializes only in the historical evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. And he's going to be giving a two-hour lecture tomorrow talking about that. Guys, the evidence is out there. I really encourage you to check it out. Guys, if you have doubt, if you're suffering from doubt, I encourage you to do something about it. Explore it, discover it, investigate it, pray about it. Guys, because when you really look into it with an open mind and an open heart, I guarantee you're really going to like what you find because Jesus is alive. Okay, I'm going to start wrapping up with this. Guys, if you remember anything from my talk tonight, remember this. Easter is everything for a Christian. Without Easter, Christianity is a hoax, guys. You would better, you'd be better off believing in some rabbit bouncing around handing out candy than Jesus Christ if Easter, is, or if Easter didn't happen. If Jesus is still dead in his tomb, you will get more joy eating 4,000 calories worth of jelly beans on Easter than following Jesus. You will. A day in a sugar coma will be more rewarding if Jesus is still dead in his tomb. But friends, Jesus is not still in his tomb. He is alive, and he loves you so much. So what is the impact of Easter for those who follow Jesus? It changes everything. It changes absolutely everything. Easter gives you the opportunity to have a relationship with the creator of the universe in this life right now, right now, and for eternity. Easter means, guys, that each one of you, each one of you in this room right now, is truly loved. Truly loved. Jesus loves you individually and personally. Easter gives you the opportunity to live a life of freedom. A life of freedom from our sin, our mistakes, and our guilt. When Jesus was on the cross, when Jesus was on the cross, right before he died, when he said, it is finished, he meant it. He meant it. He crushed death and he crushed sin. Once and, all, once and for all, for all who believe. Guys, if Jesus is bigger than death... He is bigger than your problems and your mistakes. Yes, Jesus died to create a way for us to spend eternity with him in heaven, but Jesus also died on the cross to give you freedom from your hurts and your mistakes and your sins right now, guys. Right now. He died for whatever you are struggling with right now. He died and he rose again for your loneliness he died and rose again for your self-hatred. He died and rose again for your pride. He died and rose again for your porn habit. He died and rose again for your anger problem. He died and rose again for your selfishness. He died and rose again for your bitterness. He died and rose again for your greed. He died and rose again for anything that you're struggling with right now. Easter gives us a life of freedom from our hurts and our mistakes. Guys, Easter sets us free. 
But Easter doesn't stop on Easter. No, it's a 365-day holiday. I mean, obviously we're going to keep messing up. Obviously we're going to make mistakes. Obviously we're going to feel hurt again. But when we understand Easter, we understand that Jesus is right there forgiving us, showing us grace, comforting us, and loving us in every moment of our lives, guys. Jesus really loves you. Do you know that? He really loves you. And he loves you personally and individually. Yes, he loves the church. He loves all his sons and daughters, but he loves you. Yes, you, personally and individually. I was on Twitter the other day, and I saw this tweet um, from a guy named Bob Goff. He wrote a book called uh, Love Does. If you haven't read it, you should probably read it. It's really good. Um, But anyway, his quote said this. When Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't make a speech to the world. He made breakfast for his friends. <laughs> it's like, yes, yes, that's so awesome. In John, in the book of John, it talks about how one of the first things Jesus did after he rose from the dead was that he literally made breakfast for his disciples on the beach. He saw his disciples. He was cooking up some fish. He's like, hey, guys, have you ate yet today? Oh, you're hungry? Sweet, I've got breakfast for you. That might have been a little bit of a paraphrase, but that's basically how it went down. (laughs) I love that so much, though. Jesus had just rose from the dead. The only person to conquer death and sin. he, He had the perfect opportunity to go prove all his haters wrong. You know? He's about to, hey, what's up? I'm back. I'm back. You can't hold me down. I just pushed that stone out of the way. But no, he didn't do that. No. He made breakfast for the people he loved. Because he loved them personally. And that is so, so cool. Jesus loves you personally. Easter is so important for Christians, guys. Jesus is bigger than death, and he's bigger than your doubts. Jesus offers you a life of freedom question is, are you living that Easter life through that freedom? Let's pray, guys. God, thank you so, so much for this night. I thank you for uh, each one, each person in this room right now, God. I thank you just how much you love them, that you made them uniquely them. You gave them specific talents and passions, God. I thank you just how much you love us on a personal level, that you, that you died for us on the cross for each one of us. That you said, give me all your stuff. Give me your sin. Give me your mistakes. I'll deal with it for you. I'll take the punishment you deserve because you love us so much. God, I thank you for the opportunity to just have eternal life with you, to have a relationship with you on this earth right now, because it is a life of freedom. It's a, it's a life of freedom from all the hurts and the pains and the mistakes, God. I love you so much. I pray that everybody in this room just has a great end of their school year, God, that they finish strong and they have an amazing summer. I thank you for this night and we give it all to you. In your name I pray. Amen.